Every person has a path to follow in this life. Whether it takes them to the greatest heights or to the lowest depths, every path is unique. Some paths meander without purpose, and some refuse to stray from decisiveness no matter what comes. Is this path chosen for us? Or does the universe simply listen, waiting for us to make choices? Is it an inexorable pull that drives us, or the simple combination of infinitely complex choices every day that leads us to our destiny? My name is Chris Aiken, and this is 10 Minute Workday Zen. Welcome back to the show. I took a one-week hiatus since the last episode to give all of our new listeners time to catch up, and to give myself time to polish the story for the last two episodes of the season. This is the second installment of the three-part season one finale, chronicling a small part of the life, awakening, and rebirth of Siddhartha Gautama, who would come to be known as simply Buddha. I hope you enjoyed hearing the story of the prophecy given to Suddhodana at Siddhartha's birth, and the king's subsequent plans to steer history in the direction he chose. Today, we're going to skip ahead nearly 29 years and pick up the story from Siddhartha's perspective when he was still a young prince. Don't worry, there's some helpful exposition to get you caught up on what life has been like to date, after which we'll delve into the experiences which bring Siddhartha to his spiritual calling. This part is titled, Blind Sight, True Sight, and Insight. It has been 28 years since Suddhodana, king of Kapilavastu, declared his intentions to subvert prophecy. Upon being told that his son, Siddhartha, would become either a great priest or a great king, the father sought to remove any choice and force his son into the life of a king. For 28 years, Siddhartha has been kept from scripture, kept from knowing certain truths of human existence, and kept from developing any sense of higher purpose beyond ruling the city his father rules. His wife, Yosudahara, has worked with the king since the age of 16 to remain young-seeming and to keep these things from her husband. She does so from love and devotion, wishing for her husband to become a great king who will rule with compassion and intelligence. Her son, Rahula, too has been kept from these things, so that the young mind will not subvert Suddhodana's will. So now we come to Kavalavastu, two days before Siddhartha's 29th birthday. The throne room is large, housing two seats meant for Suddhodana and his son, the Prince Siddhartha. Many cushions also line the room, arrayed so that they always face straight on to the thrones. All supplicants sit lower than the rulers, allowing wisdom to flow down from high to low. The prince sits with his father overlooking an empty room. Father, begins Siddhartha, in two days I will be as old as you were when you took rulership of Kablavlastu, when my grandfather left on his pilgrimage to the king's place. I do not wish to see you leave me, but I know that soon you, too, will journey to this place you've told me of to sit in discussion with kings of old." Suddhodana looked at his son. The mistruth he had fabricated over two decades prior when Siddhartha asked how he would become king if his father lives forever was almost as true to the old king as it was to his son, now a man. He would often catch himself believing the lies, as though he would see his father, his father's father, and the line of his people back to the beginning once he handed the kingdom to his son. The lie left a bitter taste in his mouth, as always. Yes, the king replied, soon, perhaps in the next two years, I will go to join my father and the other kings. You will become king, and all our subjects will look to you for fair judgment, leadership, hope, and faith. You will be their guardian wolf in a world of dogs. But why do you mention this, my son? 
Because, Father, I do not know how to rule our people. I fear that I do not know them. I have lived inside our many homes, traveling in covered carriages, eating with family and close friends every day. I have lived, but not lived. I rule, but I do not rule. How can our people trust me if they have never seen me, and if I have never seen them? Sudadana felt pride at the wisdom of his son, but it was cut with the cold dagger of fear. The words of the Brahmin, spoken a lifetime ago when Siddhartha was only five days old, rang in his mind again. If he sees the pain of others, he will choose the life of a priest, forsaking his place as your heir and king. What is it you wish of me, my son? Father, I wish to visit our city. I wish to meet our people. Sududana simply nodded and said, I will see it done. On the day of your 29th year, you will meet all of Kapilavastu. Be patient for only two days more. Siddhartha's face radiated joy, and Sududana was happy for the longest moment of his long life. Kapilavastu, one day before Siddhartha's 29th birthday. Sududana was in a frenzy. His son wanted to visit the whole city, but he knew that should Siddhartha see life as it was outside the palace walls, he would lose his prince and gain instead a priestly beggar. The king had assembled his most trusted advisors to find a solution. It is simple, said one. Do not allow him to go. Sududana had the man removed from his position at once and banished from the palace for life. Seeing the king's reaction, the other men present were silent for many minutes. They knew that Sududana would not accept simple or stupid answers, and they valued their positions highly. My king, said one of the older men, the prophecy says that your son may not see pain, else he will choose the priestly calling. Sududana nodded his head once and allowed the man to continue. Then, what is it in this life that causes pain? The man continued, looking to his fellows to answer. The king looked around the room, expectant. Death, said one. Sickness, answered another. Growing old, answered the youngest. The old man smiled and nodded. Yes, exactly. Young Siddhartha must simply avoid seeing age, sickness, or death. The prophecy does not say he may not see the city. He has avoided all this pain thus far. Why could you not set things in motion so that life's pains flow around and away from him as he moves through the city tomorrow, my king? Sududana was impressed by the man's suggestion. It would be simply maintaining the charade he had set in motion nearly three decades earlier, just on a slightly larger scale. Your wisdom is obvious, said the king. I shall set my whole household and all those loyal to the prince towards shaping a river of life so that my son may flow through the city without seeing one ounce of human suffering. You are wise, sir. What is your name? The old man chuckled. Kandana, my king. I am called Kandana. I serve your house as always. Kapilavastu, the day of Siddhartha's 29th birthday. All of the city had been cleaned, painted, and made fresh. Every house, every shop, every scrap of cloth was like new. Children, young couples, maidens, strong men, and the exceptionally healthy thronged the streets along a narrow path that their prince would follow. The old, weak, sick, and dying were moved from the path and placed comfortably into their homes or the homes of relatives. They were treated well, but were told by the king's guards that the procession was for younger eyes than theirs. Any man walking the city as it was so carefully laid out would have no knowledge that human life need be anything other than happiness. Siddhartha's procession began at the palace gates. He rode upon a great white elephant, 
the largest and kindest of its kind ever raised in the country. The huge beast pondered through the streets slowly, but inexorably, as it was led by a trusted handler. Behind and before Siddhartha rode guards on great black horses, whose manes had been styled and combed and made beautiful. The cheers and shouts were deafening as the people of Kapilavastu saw their prince for the first time. Joy leaked from every heart. Siddhartha's meander took him past vast gardens of flowering bushes and trees. He saw the best section of the city's great market, overflowing with all the produce and goods that could be found in the city. Everywhere he looked, people were smiling and clean and wholesome. He waved and they cheered his name. Their prince had come out to see them, and all were proud. In one instant, time seemed to slow and stop, as Siddhartha happened to glance down a small opening between pristine houses. The man who waited between them smiled happily like everyone else, save that his face was lined with wrinkles, his hair shot through with white, and he leaned on a cane supporting weak legs. Siddhartha met the man's eyes for a long moment, and the older nodded graciously to the younger, smiling deeply. Halt! shouted the prince as he began to swing his legs from the high seat. The elephant handler, not wanting the prince to be trampled by his mount, halted the great beast in an instant. The prince's feet hit the ground only seconds later, and Siddhartha walked purposefully into the crease between houses. Hello, my prince, said the weak old man, bowing slightly at the waist as he leaned more heavily on his cane. I pray you forgive my rudeness for not bowing lower, but the back and legs of an old man are creaking things that scarce support themselves any longer. Siddhartha was stunned. This man was older, weaker, more aged than any person he had ever seen before. How many years have you seen, sir? The man smiled. Oh, seventy or so have passed by my eyes. Just a scant few more than your father has seen, come to think on it. Though he remains more vigorous than I ever was, I think he and I will join one another in the next life before too long. The prince gave instructions that the old man was to be invited to the palace for dinner that night in return for being so kind and courteous. The old man accepted, and Siddhartha remounted to begin the parade again. Now though, the sights of this city held less wonder as his thoughts turned, for the first time, towards concerns beyond his daily life. Later that evening, after the procession had ended, Siddhartha sat in one of his many vast rooms. Alone, he pondered the questions he would ask the old man when he attended dinner that evening. Sometime between the 20th and 21st question the prince had come up with, he was interrupted by a messenger. Through some luck, the boy had not been waylaid by any palace guards or his father before reaching the prince in his silent thinking. He carried word from the old man that Siddhartha had met in the street that very day. The family sends their apologies, but he cannot join you for dinner. Looking dismayed, Siddhartha asked what could be keeping the old man from coming to eat with him. The messenger boy, knowing the role they all played in maintaining the prince's innocence, looked sheepishly for someone to help him, but only the two of them were in the room. He could not lie to Siddhartha. The man has died, my prince. He was very sick, and his last wish was to see you on your tour through the city. His children say that he died happy and content for having spoken so many words with you. Siddhartha dismissed the boy. Over the next three days, Siddhartha traveled his city three more times. He expected his father to protest, but Sudodana, having heard the story of the old man, simply relented and gave his blessings. Fate would go where it would go. On the first day, Siddhartha had seen age. On the second day, he met a young child who was taken with a wasting sickness. 
the healer attending her did not think she would live through the month. Siddhartha offered to send the best healers to the girl, and the family thanked him for his kindness. On the third day, the prince visited a small temple. There, he saw the body of the old man he had met days before, being washed and prepared for burial. The priest assured him that the utmost respect would be paid the old man in this process, and Siddhartha left. On the last day, he met a man in rags who begged for coins in the streets. He was an ascetic, he said, and had renounced all of life's pleasures in order to seek true wisdom and enlightenment. He claimed that possessions were the path to a useless life. Deep in the night of the fifth day, after seeing age for the first time, Siddhartha stole from his room with a small bag of clothing and a few meals worth of bread and fruit. In the stable, he met the elephant driver from the parade, whose name was Chana. The man looked on his prince and, without words being spoken, began to saddle the two horses. He would accompany Siddhartha wherever he needed to go. No guard heard their departure that night. The hooves of two horses, normally a loud pounding on the stone pathways of the palace, left no mark and alerted no ears. It was as if the gods themselves had muffled the sound. Thus brings us to the end of part two of the season finale. I hope you enjoyed this part of our story and look for part three coming soon. This podcast is produced by Aiken Entertainment. All music is from bensound.com. All rights are reserved.